Well, hello, Christ Chapel. I get to start off with my favorite thing to say to you, which is open your Bibles, please. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter one. Hello to all of you at all of our campuses, including our internet campus. So glad that you have made worship a part uh, of your week or weekend. We're so glad that you joined with us. You do need a copy of the scriptures because we're gonna read chunks of scripture that are not gonna show up on the screen today. Again, you need a copy of the scriptures. There might even be one underneath your seat, one of those blue Bibles as well. But you need a copy of scriptures. If you don't have one, Jen and I will buy you a copy of the scriptures if you don't have one and, and can't get one. We want you to have the word of God, to love the word of God, to feast on the word of God. That is the authority for our lives. What God says, the word says, what the word says, God says, that's why we open it, that's why we read it. I also wanna say a special thank you to all of the folks that helped put on Kids Camp. It really is a multi-generational effort at Christ Chapel to pull that off with hundreds of volunteers uh, from our, our sages all the way down to our students to help pull that off and so thankful. If you are a guest who came back, uh, who came maybe even for the first time because your child uh, came to Kids Camp, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we do not wanna brainwash your children. Uh, we want to help partner with you to disciple your children in the way of Jesus. That is our goal. We want to help and equip you as parents. So we're so glad uh, that you're here and, and worshiping. The, the good news about those folks coming and those kids coming this past week is that they're coming back. Okay, the kids that showed up will show up again. And not in a creepy way like they're back like poltergeist, but like they're, they're back in a good way. And, and we want them to come back. But that means we need your help serving in children's ministry. And you know the, the requirements. We're not gonna lower the bar to serve in children's ministry. You need to be here at least six months. It's pretty rigorous, the background checks, the screening interviews, and that's great for our children, that's great for our families. It makes me comfortable putting my boys into children's ministry. But we need your help in there. So if you can worship one hour and serve one hour, that would be incredibly helpful. And you can go to the kiosk right outside your venue to get more information about that. Okay, now let me ask you, how many of you know someone who is the quintessential one-upper? The quintessential one-upper. The motto for their life is anything you can do, I can do better. It, it doesn't matter what that is. If, if you had your child potty trained by one year old, they had their kid trained by three months old. You know, if you worked a 60-hour work week, they worked an 80-hour work week. You know, if your stomach was upset yesterday, they spent the day throwing up all day. You know, if, if you went to Corpus for a week, they spent a month in Fiji. It, it, it doesn't matter. The, the quintessential one-upper. Notice I didn't say how many of you have a friend who is, because those people aren't usually your friends. You don't usually want to hang around those people who are one-uppers because they're always trying to put you down as they lift themselves up. Uh, that's essentially the, the MO, the modus operandi or operandi, however you say it. That, that's the way they operate is they always want to lift themselves up, but the only way to lift themselves up is to step on your back. And you're like, yeah, you're not very encouraging to be around. Again, as I often do with examples, if you can't think of someone, you are that someone, right? Those folks are hard to be around. And, and oftentimes, and, and this, this happens to myself, it comes from a place of insecurity. 
It comes from a place where we want to be recognized. We, we want to be valued in the way that they find, find value is by being more valuable than, than you. There's a, a comedian who calls that person, the quintessential one-upper, a me monster. The me monster. And here's the problem is we all have a little bit of that me monster in us. We, we want to feel valuable. The problem is there is no place for a me monster in the church. There's, there, there's no place for someone who's always trying to make themselves appear more superior than others, who step on each other's backs in, in order to feel more valuable or look better when all it does is put someone else down. That kind of uh, operation, that kind of selfishness, that kind of self-centeredness is just prideful. And there is no room for pride in the church because the church, we, Christ Chapel, we are all about exalting Christ. And if we're not exalting Christ, then oftentimes we're exalting ourselves, the little me monster inside. And we got to root out that me monster and that divisive pride that has the potential to divide any kind of church. And that's what we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 10 to 31 as we continue our series called Undivided. And I told you the, the goals for this series are very simple. We want to unify it on Christ, unify around him and we want to identify those areas that are potentially divisive and understand how we approach those things from a biblical standpoint so that we can find unity rather than dividing. And so we're going to continue that today. Last week we talked about undivided thanksgiving and this thanksgiving that Paul gives for the people of God because of the grace of God. Grace levels a playing field and therefore unifies us all. Pride divides. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is this kind of divisive pride that was in the church in Corinth. And Paul hits it head on in verses 10 to 11. So why don't you look at that? Because this is kind of the setup for everything that we're going to be studying, not only today, but through really the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. So beginning in chapter 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Now that's gonna be a miraculous thing, right? <laughs> that, that is divine for all of you to agree. And that there be no divisions among you. This is the goal of the book but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So let me explain some of this. Uh, first of all, Chloe's people are not Mama Chloe the psychic's people that you heard about on the psychic hotline. Chloe's people here, we don't exactly know who it is, but she was probably a prominent businesswoman in that day, and maybe some of the people that worked for her were going to Ephesus from Corinth. Remember, Paul's writing this from Ephesus in AD 56, so he's writing from Ephesus. He gets this report from Chloe's people who might have been there in Ephesus doing business, and now he's writing back to them, and he says, hey, I have heard that there are divisions among you. And this word divisions, the Greek word is schemata, which is a schism. It's where we get our, that English word, which means to rip or to tear. 
The the, something that is supposed to be united, that, that was united at one time, has now been torn apart. And he says, I've heard there have been divisions among you. And he's, he also says that there is quarreling among you. And you, I don't know, when, when I read that word quarreling, I go, that's not that bad. You know, that, that's what my you know, two young boys do. They quarrel with one another. Actually, this word is, is far more offensive than, than a, a small tussle or a small argument. This word that is used here for quarrel actually means strife. It, it, it's, a, it's an argument that is not civil in any way. It's actually listed in the, the works of the flesh of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. You, you see this show up actually in Galatians chapter five, which in the part that's the antithesis of walking in the spirit. Remember Ephesians five, the fruit of the spirit, you remember that? And it talks about the works of the flesh. That quarreling word, the strife amongst believers is a work of the flesh that is antithetical to a work of the spirit. You also find this in Romans chapter one, when he talks about a pagan society that has been given over to the desires of the flesh. They are filled with quarreling, this strife amongst each other. This divisive pride that Paul is talking about, there is no place for it in the church. And he says, that's why I want you to be united. And that word united is actually a medical term that means knit together as if it's flesh, a body that's knit together. I mean, now, if you've, you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that this is all about the body. We, he, he actually uses that analogy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so it makes sense. I want you to be united of the same mind. Your body has one mind. I want you to be united of the same mind, not torn apart a body of flesh because that hurts the body when your flesh is divided or torn or split or there's a schism. And these, these divisions hurt one another. They hurt individuals. They ultimately hurt the reputation of Christ and his church. And so this is the appeal. That's why he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to be of the same, to agree, to be of the same mind, united in that discernment, in that judgment. So this is the setup for the book, what he's calling us to be. And he's going to hit these divisive issues head on, and they all form from the root of pride. And I want to explain what these three are, how pride works its way out in these divisions that he's going to address head on. And then I want to tell you what we need to do to be able to unify around the, the things of God, but then give you one particular thing you can do for each of those areas. So let's look at these three different areas of divisive pride and then how we can unify. The first one is pride divides us when we rely on a messenger rather than relying on the message of Jesus Christ. Divisive pride relies on a messenger rather than simply just the message of Jesus Christ. Follow along with me, I wanna read verses 12 to 17. This is the first large chunk that will not show up on the screen. What I mean, this is after the appeal, what I mean is that each, of, each one of you says, well, hey, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which was the other name for Peter, remember? So that's Peter. Or I follow Christ. He asks the question, is Christ divided? 
Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you. Well, except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then he goes on, and I did baptize these few. Go to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We'll stop right there. So the first thing that he addresses are the factions that have been created inside the church and have formed around these particular messengers of the message of the gospel. People who say, I follow that messenger. Remember how I told you last week, this is some divisions around even Sunday school teachers. These are the Sunday school teachers essentially. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Christ. They've, they form these factions based on who they want to follow rather than I follow the message of Jesus, the, the gospel of Christ. And, it, and, and it's somewhat understandable because these, these folks had different preferences. I mean, if you look at these, there's many thoughts around why they formed different factions or groups around these particular people. Paul, remember, was a, an apostle to the Gentiles. So maybe he had more Gentiles going, well, I like that guy. Peter, I mean, he was, he was a Jew. And so remember, he sometimes even struggled with following those old Jewish traditions. And so maybe he was drawing some of the Jewish believers who were coming to know Christ who liked to keep those old traditions that, you know, the, the founders, this is the way we always did it. None of you are like that. Nervous laughter. Then you had, you know, you, then you had Apollos who was just this eloquent preacher he was from Alexandria, who was just this, this awesome, eloquent speaker. And so maybe people are like, oh man, he's awesome. Like I just love it when he preaches. And then you have those who say, I follow Christ, which we don't exactly know what that means. If they were being prideful of, I don't have a human leader. I don't, I don't have to put myself under any human authority. We, we don't know exactly what that means. But this is dividing the church. And it's not just dividing one, it's dividing all. If you look back, he says, each one of you says, which I think is really interesting. You see, he holds them as all, all of them as culpable. And he says, uh, and, here, and here's why, I think, is because when one of them drew a line in the sand of I follow Paul, what they're essentially saying is who do you follow? Are you with me? Are you going to follow Paul? You better pick a side because this is, this is who I go for. And this has been a dangerous thing that is happening these days, which I want to address. But let me be very clear. We do not follow a messenger. We follow a message. We rely on the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul gives these three rhetorical questions that are right there in verses 12 to 17. Right after he says, oh, you want to follow them? Well, hey, is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Paul only, it seems to be that the, the method that Paul followed was only baptizing the first converts that were there so that he could start a church and then move on. And remember, Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Why did he not baptize anybody? Can you imagine the pride that someone would have if they were baptized by Jesus? 
That would have, that would have easily divided people. And he says, you, you, I, didn't, I didn't baptize anybody except these first few folks so that the church could be established and we could move on. You see, what we've got to unify around is the cross of Christ that divides the world, but not those inside the church. We've got to unify around the cross of Christ that divides the world, but not those inside the church. There's no doubt that the message of the gospel is divisive. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, I'm paraphrasing here, I came to set the world on fire. And he said, my message will be divisive and it will even divide some folks inside of a family. It'll divide fathers and sons and, and daughters and mothers because some are gonna say, I follow Jesus and you don't. The, the cross certainly divides those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. But the message of the gospel is never supposed to divide those who are inside of Christ. Those who are inside the house we're never supposed to divide over messengers of the message of the gospel. And it happens all the time, even today. These are not, these are not old problems. These are the same problems. People today say, Cody, I like this author. I listen to this podcast. I like this preacher. I like this worship leader. It doesn't matter what the area is, you all have your favorites. You all have your preferences. And there's nothing wrong with those preferences. The problem is when those preferences become principles and you become prideful about those principles and they begin to divide those inside the house of the church. We all have preferences. But the preferences don't divide us inside. Let, let me give you an example. I want you to think about your house for just a second because you have plenty of preferences inside your own home, okay? For instance, does the toilet paper roll over or under? You, you all have a preference on that. But do you kick the person out who goes against your preference? See, some of you are going, no, Cody, that's not a preference. That's a principle. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The problem is. Or you have a preference of these towels are for guests only, not the people who live here the other 364 days of the year. That may be a great preference, not a principle that divides. You see, we all have those, those preferences. Nothing wrong with them. But if you start looking down on people who don't hold your same preferences because you're holding them as principles, that's wrong. You're dividing over those things. We're not supposed to divide over the messengers or those things we prefer. We like to hear it this way. That's not inside the body of Christ. That's not, that's not what we're supposed to divide upon. And so let me give you just a quick, here's something you can do. Make scripture your authority. Make scripture your authority. See, the problem that we have going on in Christendom, Cody's opinion today, is that we are making these preferences authoritative. And we're saying, Cody, this preacher says it the right way. You need to say it this way. 
or this author is, the, they are sharing it the right way. They're doing it the right way. They're the best. And they may be awesome. Great. Praise God. They're, they're much better preachers than I am. 100%. There are great authors. Yes. There are great podcasters. Yes. But it, they are not your authority. This is your authority. And you better follow that beyond any messenger. That's, that's myself included. God puts us in a, God has put those over authority over us, and that is our elder board here at Christ Chapel. And guess what? Those are my bosses too. And I submit to them every day that I come to work, and every day that I don't come to work. They're my authority. God has put them as overseers over my soul, and they will have to give an account for the way that we're shepherded. But guess what they're following? The word of God. We don't rely on the messengers. We rely on the message of the gospel. And if we begin to rely on the messengers and we say, well, I like this person. Oh, you don't like them? Cancel culture. That, that's, that is the way that we are operating today and it's dividing us inside the house of God. We're never meant to divide inside. Rely on the message. Make scripture your authority so we can unify around the cross. That certainly divides the world, but it shouldn't divide us inside. Second, pride divides us when we follow worldly wisdom rather than following the wisdom of God's ways. It divides us when we follow worldly wisdom rather than following the wisdom of God's ways. The key word that we're going to read here in verses 18 to 25 is wisdom. Wisdom is all throughout here. So look at, begin in verse 18 with me, follow along. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, meaning it doesn't make sense. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, which is Isaiah 29, 14. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Remember that. The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we have to preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Stop right there. There's a contrast going on between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And, and he, there, you even see a divide that's here. He says Jews wanted, wanted signs. If you remember, actually the Pharisees even asked Jesus for a sign. And he said, you are going to get a sign. You're going to even get the greatest sign that was probably ever given, which was the sign of Jonah. Remember Jonah, three days resurrected. That's Jesus, three days in the tomb, resurrected. You're going to get the greatest sign. And you still won't believe. They were looking for Jesus in the way that they wanted him to come. They wanted him in their wisdom to overthrow the government. They wanted him to put them into power. That seemed to make sense to them. They wanted Jesus their way. The Greeks were no different. The Greeks loved wisdom. They loved philosophy. They loved Apollos, this eloquent speaker. 
That's what they wanted. They wanted someone to give them wise words, to always give them some kind of new knowledge. That's what they wanted from Jesus. They wanted him his way. See, worldly wisdom says, do it through my means. Do it through my methods. Do it the way that I think it should be done, God. But the problem is his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are are undiscernible to us. We don't even understand those because it doesn't make sense. The way of salvation doesn't make sense. I mean, even through scripture, when it says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree, and who did that for you and me? Jesus, the Messiah, the one who's supposed to come and be our great leader is the one who's gonna be cursed, hanged on a tree. That's, that's foolishness to all of us logical thinkers. But it was the way of God. See, what we have to unify around is not our worldly wisdom, the means and methods which we think we should take today, but we should seek God's ways and unify around the cost of following Christ because discipleship isn't always common sense. Discipleship is not always common sense. And and let me just, this is a quick aside, and I know I'm taking up a lot of time here, but Quick aside, when, when you have friends or family members whom you love dearly, who you want to come to know Jesus, you have to pray for them because spiritual things will not make sense to someone who does not have the Spirit of God. They didn't make sense to you and they, they didn't make sense to me before I knew Jesus. And we're actually gonna talk more about that even next week. You've got to pray for them. You cannot argue anyone into the kingdom of God. You might work so hard with your words to capture their minds, but only God can capture their hearts. So you've got to pray for them. We've got to be people who pray for those who we love that we want to see come to know Jesus. You've got to pray for them. It takes the spirit of God to see those things because it's not common sense. Following Christ is not common sense. The way of salvation is not common sense. How does it make any sense that all we have to do is accept Jesus as our Savior by grace through faith to receive eternal life and be reconciled to a holy God? That makes no, that doesn't make logical sense. What makes sense is that we should pay. We should pay ourselves and earn our way into heaven. And you can't do it. That's why he says the way of Christ is, is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, it's, it's salvation. It's glory. Discipleship, the, the way of Christ doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense for you to be humble. The, the world says, hey, step on each other's backs. One up each other. Do whatever it takes to get what you want. It, scripture tells us God lifts up the humble and he brings low the proud. And so you go, I guess I'm supposed to be humble in this world? It's not logical. It's not what my boss tells me to do. It's not what my flesh tells me to do. But that's what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't make any sense for you to come and bring your tithes and offerings as a gift to God when worldly wisdom says, save it all. Spend it all. Spend it on yourself. You worked hard for that during the week. 
You spend it on whatever you want in the weekend. That doesn't make logical sense where you say, God, you gave me this job. You gave me the resources. You gave me the means, and I give it back to worship you. Make much of you. Don't just make my life more comfortable. It doesn't doesn't make worldly sense for us to stay married to one person our entire life. I'm just, listen, I believe in biblical marriage, but get the logic here. Because people go, I'm not happy. I don't want to stay with them. I'm going to go find somebody else to be happy with. Logically, you go, I guess that makes sense. And it grieves the heart of God when we do that. Because marriage isn't meant for your happiness, it's meant for your holiness. And what Jesus says is what God brought together, let no person separate. That's not logical. Logical says, I'm here for a short time. I want to be happy. I'll go around people that make me happy all the time. And let me just tell you, the grass is never greener. Okay? God brought you two together for a very specific purpose and you're gonna sanctify and sharpen and you're gonna be so glad 50 years down the road when you're holding hands in the rocking chair having something that other people don't have and envy. That's what you want. That's what God will lead you to, but it will take self-sacrifice. And that's not logical. See, discipleship is not common sense. Christ is not common sense. And that's why we have to unify around him and that cost of discipleship. It is costly. And what you can do individually is begin to be that one that supports those who are living out the cost of Christ. Because those who live out the cost of Christ look crazy to this world. And they need somebody to stand beside them and go, I stand beside you. Stay with her. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Stay with her. Hang in there. Submit to the Lord. Love her as Christ loves the church. Bring your tithes. Bring your gifts. Bring your, that makes, it makes no logical sense in this world, but it's for Jesus' sake. And, and that makes all the sense in the eternal realm, in the eternal economy. We've got to support one another, each other, one another, in living out the cost of discipleship. And then finally, pride divides us when we boast in fading accomplishments rather than boasting in the faithfulness of God. Pride divides us when we boast in fading accomplishments rather than boasting in the faithfulness of God. If you look at verse 26 to 31, he's gonna list some of these fading accomplishments. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And shame doesn't mean to make them feel bad about themselves. The shame means vindicates. He vindicates himself. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. We brought nothing to the table. Nothing. And we go, praise God. 
Praise God. Praise God that the gospel is borderless and blind. It it, it knows no accomplishments. It's not looking for someone who is wise by worldly standards. It's not looking for someone of noble birth. It's not looking for someone with a great degree who lives in a certain neighborhood or born into a certain family. It says, I want everyone who is created in the image of God to be my own. That's the good news about Jesus. And we go, praise God. Praise God. Because all those accomplishments will fade. Where you lived, what you did, the piece of paper hanging on your wall, not gonna matter for eternity. Because when you get in the presence of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the only boast you will have is the boast in the Lord. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so we've gotta unify around the celebration of Christ because of the impression that God leaves on us we, we, we unify around celebrating the one who has made us one with him. And that's that impression that he leaves on us. See, our world, to go back to worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, the world says impress others. Impress others with your accomplishments, with, with your vacations, with how well your kids are doing, with your Facebook and Instagram posts. Impress others. And we go, no, 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 no. Let me talk about the one who's impressed me, the one who's left an eternal impression on me. You see, one thing that I think you can do and we can all do individually to help us unify around the celebration in Christ because of the impression he's left on us is be more vulnerable and transparent with our weaknesses rather than just sharing our strengths. Uh, There's a, a, a wonderful guy on our staff, shout out Brad Deal, we were talking the other day, and he said, he used this phrase that I loved, and it's made an impression on me. He said, strengths impress, weaknesses connect. I thought that's so true. You know, strengths, we go, gosh, I'm impressed. You're better than I am. You've won up to me. But when we share our weaknesses, we go, you too? You, me, me, me too. Wow, we can be friends. You're not up there and I'm down here. We're on the same playing field. And isn't that where God wants us? We're all on the same playing field, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we all celebrate this one Savior. Because guess what? Nobody can one-up him. He was the one who was lifted up on the cross, cursed on a tree for you and for me. He was the one who was lifted up and ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God because he did conquer death to pave a way for you and me to be reconciled to a holy God. And he lifts us up as he intercedes on our behalf at the right hand of the Father day in and day out. You can one-up him. That's why I let those who boast, boast in the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you point out this me monster that I have, this pride that divides because you want us all to boast in one person and that is the person of our Lord and Savior, the one that we call friend, Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I pray that you would root that out in our own hearts. Help us to unify around you 
so that we can be your church, the one who boasts in you, to celebrate you, who's impressed upon you and by you, that we would be undivided. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.